0: Okay. Everyone's doing well and enjoying the first couple of days of Ramadan. Uh, it's nice to join the, my home Michigan Muslim community. Uh, i home in Dallas now, but I'm happy to be joining and I hope you're all doing well. I know this Ramadan is challenging and unique, but also um, an opportunity I think for us to try and really build our individual connection with Allah. So the topic is actually perfectly relevant to, to this, um, this idea of build, building a connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because salah is, um, you know, is, that's what it is. It's our connection to Allah, a divine connection that everyone has been given individually. Um, and it's beautiful because it doesn't matter who you are, you have a direct link with your creator and Lord Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now salah itself, is, is mentioned over 100 times in the Qur'an, right? And so the, the idea of its importance, you know, can't be emphasized, you know, enough. There's so much mention of, the, of salah and in the Qur'an and it either comes in usually one of two contexts. Either, you know, it's either being mentioned with the promise of a, a reward for those who pray and or it's being mentioned with a warning for those who leave salah of a punishment, right? And from the beginning of the Qur'an to the end of the Qur'an, you you see the salah being mentioned. You open Surah baqarah and the in the third verse, Right, right away, Allah's Allah establishes prayer. Those who believe in, in the unseen and establish the prayer. Right, and then if you go to the end of the Quran, Allah's Allah says in Surah Al-Kauthar, right? and pray to your Lord, to your Master, and also offer sacrifice. Right. So throughout the whole Quran, it's it's full of of mention of salah, right. And so I hope most people here are those who, you know, pray five times a day. That's generally um, You know, those who are attending halakat and who are, you know, going to the masjid and this kind of thing, then typically they're amongst that category. But just to emphasize, I mean, salah is so important that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi he said in a hadith that on the day of judgment will come, right, and it will be asked, the first question will be asked about was our prayer. And he says that if he, that, that is answered appropriately, if that was taken care of, if that was rectified, then everything that comes after it, meaning all the questions that come after, will be okay. But if you fail on that first question of salah, then everything that comes after will only be, will only be worse, right? And, and just think about it for a second. Like, if we don't pray five times a day, right? Maybe we have an issue with waking up for Fajr or we don't like praying at school or uh, when they're at work, when people are around us and we leave the salah, Think about that, and what what category of people does that put you in right when the scholars talk about al Salah, the one who leaves a prayer you know at the at the minimum the le- most lenient amongst them are those who say he is from the most sinful of sinful people right that 's the most lenient opinion about about someone who leaves salah, who intentionally rejects it right and then the the one who 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 just denies its 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 you know, um, uh, being mandatory upon us, who just rejects the idea altogether, that by consensus of the scholars, he is outside of the fold of Islam, right? Meaning there's no difference between him. You could call yourself Muslim. You could fast in Ramadan or whatever. But if you have that approach to your salah, then there's no difference if you are just a, a disbeliever or, or or a mushrik. No difference at all, right? So that's that's a category you're putting yourself with. I mean, think about that, um, right? Or if you, you're... You, on the, other, on the other end, and I think this is a category of most people, right? Those who, who care about the religion, who care about the Prophet Wasallam, who care about Allah Taala, and trying to do their best to live up to the expectations that have been put upon us as believers, the one who leaves salah, I mean, think about it, you were leaving that which Prophet would rush to. Anytime even the smallest issue would, would kind of, you know, uh, concern him or bother him, Either when anything like distressed him at all, the first thing he would do is he would rush to prayer, right? So if you're leaving salah, you're leaving that. You're leaving that which was Allah love. fi salah, that the salah was made the coolness of his eyes. Right? I mean, just imagine, I mean, subhanAllah, if you think about it, you know, being in America, right, most of us are children of, 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 of immigrants who came from other countries, be it the Middle East or Southeast Asia or Africa. Um, uh, our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, all the generations were Muslim, right? I mean, just think for a second, subhanAllah, if, if you know there was a there was a friend of mine um in university he he um you know he got caught up in the wrong crowd he ended up you know tripping up and and um you know he kind of lost his way drinking alcohol you know going to the club these kind of things and what happened was his 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 dad found out his dad had found out this is what he was doing and so when he went home that weekend to to visit his family um because, you know, university, he, li- he lived on campus, was a little over an hour away from home or whatever. So he would go home occasionally on the weekends to visit family. And so when he went home, he said his dad was just so overwhelmed with sadness. He said, when he t- he talked to him about it, and and he, he, my friend told me later, he was just bawling on the phone and he was like, I've never seen my dad cry like that. And he was crying and crying and crying because he saw, you know, these pictures online um that he had posted of him being at, at a club drinking alcohol. I want you to think about that for a second, right? What our parents, what they went through to come here, or think about our grandparents, right, or our great grandparents and the struggles that they went through to hold on to the religion, right? To hold on to the to, to to Islam. And we talk about, you know, what's happening in China right now and how there's this whole, you know, um uh Literally, it's like the repeat of the Spanish Inquisition, where Muslims were just completely forced to leave their religion by every means necessary, right? So we have now men who are taken out of their homes in China, over a million Muslims who are being put in these concentration camps, and they are being um, uh, they're being brainwashed and they're being forced to 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 leave their religion and leave any trace of their religion. Their wives who are at home are being forced to uh, be married to non-Muslim Chinese men, right, who stay with them, who sleep in the same bed, who are with them, right? And no sign of Islam can can, can be shown, right? Imagine that, right? And what they're going through, like the Muslims in Spain, when, when the Inquisition happened and they were forced to abandon their religion and when the Christian rulers took over, right? There are books that are written. There are literally books that are written of how to pray and not be caught, how to make wudu, and not be caught being making wudu, right? So in Spain, what they did was they forced Muslims to leave the doors of their homes open on Thursday, Thursday into Friday. And if anybody was seen taking a shower Thursday night or Friday, they would be killed, right? Because they would be, they would be thought that they're Muslim, right? If you didn't eat pork when you're in a public gathering, you know, and there's pork being served, if you just didn't even touch it, maybe maybe you don't like it, whatever, but if you didn't touch it, you, it would be thought that you were Muslim. So these people, so there's books written literally like when you're walking by, when you're walking somewhere, just walk and touch the wall like this and use that to make tammel and slowly wipe your hands, you know, eventually. When they would say, when you would pray, what you would do is you would pray with your back against the wall. You would pray with your back against the wall. So that way you, your your eyesight's only in front of you and nobody could see you from behind, right? This actually became a Christian tradition later that, that um, Christians would read the Bible with their back against the wall it became like a sunnah amongst them and this tradition actually came from muslims who were hiding their islam and they would read the quran or they would pray with their back against the wall right i'm saying all this to tell you what people before us and right now in china and Finland, and all these places what they're going through to hold on to their prayer right and if just i want to ask you this question if your father or your grandfather or your grandmother or your great grandmother was raised up from the grave and was told that your offspring, they left their country in Yemen or they left India or Pakistan or, or, or you know Egypt or wherever they left and they come to this foreign land. And here they lost their religion, that your, your, your grandchild, despite all that you, what you've gone through has left prayer. I mean, can you imagine a story that he could even think that's possible, right? Um, and that's just our family. That's somebody who, you know, are, maybe we've never met our, our grandfather before or our great-grandfather before. But this is the things that they've went through to hold on to religion and pass it on to, from generation to generation, right? That, and that's, that's not even talking about meeting the Prophet on the Day of Judgment, right? Or, me, or, of course, most importantly, standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and being asked about your prayer. Five times we've been asked to pray a day. That's it. Five times a day. It takes... Twenty minutes, thirty minutes, and we don't do it because we're we either we're caught up in the dunya or we're too busy with whatever we're doing, or we're scared what people will say. I mean, that's a terrifying thought, and it's and it's unfortunate that's actually a reality for some people. So the importance of prayer can't be understated, right? The what I wanted to share with you, however, is maybe some things that might change our perspective a little bit on the prayer itself, and and how the quality of the prayer that we offer, and our just approach and 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 um, outlook on the salah itself. And I want to actually start with a hadith. It's found in the Muwatta Ibn Imam Malik, in which Amir ibn Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, the son of Sa'ad ibn al-waqas Amir, Allahumma, he states that I heard my father say that there were two men who were brothers who one of them passed away. He says, كان أخوان فهلك أحدهما. So he said, one of the brothers, he, he passed away 40 days before his brother did. Right? So two brothers who both died, one of them died 40 days before the other. So فَذُكِرَتْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ The first man was known to be very righteous. Right? From the two brothers, the first one was known to be very righteous. He was known to have you know, um, worshipped Allah ta'ala and the like. And it's not mentioned specifically, what, but it's mentioned that his falah and his, some of his characteristics and good qualities were mentioned in front of the Prophet Sallallahu So um, the Prophet he asked a question. He said, الم مُسْلِيمًا؟ Wasn't his brother, the second one who died 40 days later, wasn't he a Muslim also? They said that, of course, yes, he was—he was—he was also a Muslim, and you know, there was no harm in him. He was like, يعني, he was just a regular Muslim, you know. The, this other guy, mashallah, he was active. He was, you know, he was known to exert himself in worship and whatnot. And this his brother, he's a Muslim, prayed five times a day, fasted Ramadan, all these things, right? He—he he did what he had to do, but he was just kind of like a getting by a Muslim. So here's what's very interesting: the Prophet ﷺ he says, "فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ, صلى الله وسلم, he says, "وَمَا يُدِرِيكُمْ". مَا بَلَغَتْ بِهِ صَلَاتُهِ And, you know, مَا In the Arabic language, when that's used, you know, you've heard it in the Quran, you know, um, it's mentioned a lot. وَمَا For example, what would make you understand what is لَيْرَةٌ قَدْرٍ This phrase is used in the Arabic language when it's trying to emphasize something that's so great or or or, or awesome or magnificent or that it's hard to even imagine, right? That's when it's used. Like, what would make you understand how great May al-Qadr is? Because it's such an amazing thing, right? So that same idea, that same phrase Prasan is using here. صلات, صلات. He's saying that, that this man who died 40 days later, what would make you understand what level that extra 40 days of salah? Allowed this man to reach. Right? So he's just saying 40 days of prayer. You know, I mean, you think about this, subhanAllah, like this is something very, you know, very, very interesting that one man lived 40 days past the other. And so 40 more days he had to offer salah five times a day, right? 200 salah he offered at, at a minimum for the prayer. Prophet is saying, do you understand that just being able to offer those 40 days of salah, what level that gives him in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Then he went on to say, إنما مثَلُ الصلاة كمثَلِ نهرٍ غمرٍ عذبٍ. he says the example of salah is like the example of a a a very deep um, river of sweet water. he says he says بباب أحدكم يقتحم فيه كل يوم خمس كل يوم خمس مرات. he says that this river this deep river of sweet fresh water is at the, run, r- runs in front of the, your, your front door, right? And he says, and this person, he takes a shower or a bath, he dumps into this river five times a day, and he showers himself and bathes himself in this fresh water river, right? So Prophet then he says, he says, He says, and what do you think? How much dirt would be left on this person? Right? If he takes a bath five times a day in this, in this river, right? So the Prophet says, فَإِنَّكُمْ لَا تَدْرُونَ مَا بَلَغَتْ بِهِ This is the point. He says, so you guys don't realize what level this man reached by virtue of those extra 40 days of salah. I mean, think about that. This extra 40 days of salah. So every single time you and I pray, this is the opportunity we have in front of us, right? That the Prophet is saying, your sins are being wiped out. Completely wiped out. And we'll get to that in a second, In ta'ala. We'll kind of go over salah and its ways of forgiving, forgiving our sins. But our sins are being wiped out, completely wiped away by virtue of our salah, right? What would make you understand? What would make you understand? ma bihi salatu? You know, what would make you understand the level this person reached by virtue of his prayer? You know, Ali ibn al anhu you know, he, it's recorded that he said something very interesting. He says he says if I knew for certain, for certain that even one prayer in my life was accepted، لمحتمت. he says that I, I I would be I would be good. I would not be worried about my my status with Allah subhanahu wa taala. just one prayer in his life he's saying this right. now why is he saying that because Allah subhanahu he says إنما يتقبل الله من that Allah subhanahu only accepts from those who have taqwa, right? Those who are aware of Allah and conscious of Allah, who are sincere in their worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This prayer is offered not for showing off, but solely for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's saying, if I knew just one prayer was offered, I would be good. I wouldn't be worried because it was accepted. I wouldn't be worried because why? Allah I only accepts from the mutaqe, so I know I'm from the mutahti. Right? And so just one prayer. Now Ramadan, we're in a month now, we're at least praying Tarawiha at home inshallah ta'a. We don't have the opportunity to pray you know, in the masajid. Um, and we ask Allah to, to, to lift this, this plague from us so that we can go back to worshipping Allah in jama'ah and appreciating what we weren't, maybe not appreciating fully before we were banned, we, we, we were deprived of going to the masjid in the houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? But just think about that. One prayer being, accepted, that Ibn bitaala thinks it's good. Ibn you know, the, the man who the said, if there would be a prophet after me, it would be him. When he, was, when he was murdered, right, he was stabbed by a fire worshiper, a, a slave who lived in, in Medina. He stabbed him multiple times and he died from those injuries eventually. Um, when al Khattab, he, he had initially passed out and kind of went to, into shock from, from the injuries that he, he suffered. When he woke up, you know, he actually didn't wake, he was, he was unconscious and that it was, he was stabbed at the time of Salat al-Fajr, right? And so when it was almost sunrise, and meaning the time for Salah of Fajr is about to go away, right? They told him, he's unconscious. He's in a state of, uh, like a coma-like state, right? And he, they told him, Amir al-Mu'mineen, as-salah, as-salah. They were telling him, Amir al-Mu'mineen, the time for prayer is about to leave. You haven't prayed Fajr because he stood to pray, and then he was attacked, and then he passed out from his injuries, and so he didn't pray Fajr. And so in a state of of, of unconsciousness, when he heard that the time for prayer is about to go, he woke up. And the narration says he woke up and he looked to his right and he looked to his left. And the first thing he said was, Asallah nas did the people pray? Did the people um, uh, finish the Salat al-Fajr, right? And as the Khalifa, he's worried, he's responsible for his flock. He's a shepherd responsible for his flock, his flock is his Ummah, right? And SubhanAllah, this is the exact same question the Prophet Sallallahu he asked in his last moments, when he was in an illness so severe that he would go in and out of consciousness, and he, had told, he was so weak that he couldn't get up to lead the people in prayer, he told uh, those around him, he says, tell Abu Bakr to lead the people in prayer, right? And so when, when the Prophet he passed away, uh, when he would pass out unconscious, he would wake up, and the first thing he would ask is, did the people pray, right? The same concern was, did they pray? Anyway, when, when he found out that the people prayed and then he prayed himself, he then asked, "Who murdered me? Right? Who's the one who did this to me?" Because he didn't know, right? And so they told him it was the uh, uh, the slave of uh, of of Mughira, the the fire worshipper, Abu Luhlu al-Majusi. And so when he heard that that the person who killed him wasn't a Muslim, you know what he said? He said. He said, "Alhamdulillah, الذي جعل موتي على يدي رجل لم يستد بسجدة واحدة يحاجدني بها behind الله ta'ala. He said, "I thank Allah and praise Allah for making my death at the hand of someone who never even prostrated once to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala." Why is he saying that? The same idea that Ibn Talib is trying to trying to impress upon us that if I know that even one prayer was accepted from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, then I know I have a standing with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Al Mutalib is saying, "I'm I'm thankful that the one who killed me." didn't even make one sajda in front of Allah. Because if he did, had he made one sajda in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he would have something that he could stand on in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and argue with Allah against me on the day of judgment, right? So that's the level of importance of prayer that we we have to understand. Now, the question is, brothers and sisters, is we're praying, right? But what's the quality of our prayer? And how do we appreciate prayer? So I wanted to share two thoughts with you. One is about the quality of prayer, which I'm, honestly, I'm going to just share two ideas and then we're going to go into some things about prayer itself. Um, the first thing I want, to, I, want to, I want us to think about is when we pray, is our prayer being accepted or not, right? And I want to share one hadith and one poem. The hadith I want to share with you is the hadith in which a man entered into Masjid Nabawi, And he, the Prophet was sitting in the Masjid and the man, he went to the front of the Masjid and he prayed two rakats. He prayed two rakaas, and then he got up to leave. And as he's, leaving, as he's leaving, actually the narration, I don't think it specifies two rakas, but he prayed. It may have been a fad, sallallahu But he, he prayed a prayer, and then he gets up to leave, and as he's leaving, he says salam to the Prophet, And so the Prophet, he returns the salam, and then he says, فَإِنَّكَ لَمْ تُصَلِّ He tells the man, go back and pray for you haven't prayed. Now the man just literally prayed, right? And he's being told, go back and pray you haven't prayed. And so the man he goes back and he prays again. He, no questions asked. Prophet he says, Go back and pray. So I, he goes back and he prays. So then he comes back a second time and he says salam to the Prophet as he's leaving. The Prophet he says, go back and pray, you haven't prayed. And then a third time the man he goes and prays, and the same thing happens. Prophet he says, Go back and pray, you haven't prayed. So then the Prophet the, the man finally tells the Prophet he says, O Messenger of Allah, maa O Messenger of Allah. What you saw me, how I pray, that's how I know how to pray. Like, I don't know better than this. So clearly there's something wrong with my prayer. So, O oh, Messenger of Allah, teach me what am I doing wrong so that I, I can offer my prayer properly. So Prophet he then tells him, he says that, he says, when you stand to pray, recite what Allah has made easy, easy to you from the Qur'an. And he says, when you go into ruku'ah, let yourself, hatta rakia. let yourself come to a position of, of tranquility and stillness in your position of ruku'ah. So don't just like rush into ruku and come right back up. And suju and come back up. And then he says, and when you stand up from ruku, let your body your your you, you know until you become upright and straight when you're standing. wa lakal And then when you go into sujood the same thing, let yourself come to position of iltmit, and then when you sit in between the sujud and when you sit for the jahud, make sure you come to position of stillness and tranquility, right? Prasam is repeating this for every part of the prayer. And he says, and do this in every part of the prayer. Meaning when you pray, it shouldn't just be physical movements, right? It shouldn't just be like up and down, left and right, and, 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 and that's it. Like, like you're exercising, you're stretching your back. That's not what prayer is supposed to be. Prayer is supposed to have meaning, right? That each part of the prayer, you allow yourself to, to really pause for a moment and enjoy that part of the prayer. It gives a meaning of humility and, and, and tranquility and peace. Right? So each part of the prayer should, should you, you should experience that. That's why Ibrahim Adam, he, taala, he once said something very interesting. He said that if the kings of the world, if they knew the joy that we have, that feeling of itminan right? Right, in this world you find that people struggle, right? There's 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 a there's a almost a constant level of internal strife. You see millionaires, you see superstars you see the most famous people in the world who commit suicide or who on prozac and are on multiple antidepressants or who are you know seeing therapists because they're depressed despite despite what they have from this dunya you know they have everything of this world they have fame they have you know the most beautiful wife or the most beautiful husband the most powerful person they have they have wealth they have you know luxurious homes and cars but they're depressed you know, sometimes people at work they, they ask me and I tell them, you know, I've never drank alcohol in my life, alhamdulillah, never been into a bar in my life or a club in my life. And they're like, How have you lived? Right? Right? Because they, they they drink now with the quarantine, everybody's at home and they're drinking alcohol, right? This is a common theme that I gotta load up on my booze. I have to have enough alcohol while I'm at home. And I'm you know I I I, I, I shake my head in in in, in 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 um in uh you know, just you know, out of like, you know, how sad is your state, really? That this is what you go to, to find, to find some sort of joy, which you don't find. You don't find joy. You just numb your feelings when you get drunk or you get wasted or you, you get high on, on marijuana and, and drugs, right? And if only you could experience what we experience in our sujood. Ibrahim Adami says that if the kings of the world knew the joy, the sweetness, the, the, the tranquility, the peace, the serenity, that we experience in our sujood in every salah. He said they wouldn't stop sending army after army against us so that they can take that away from us, so they can experience that. Just like we see nowadays when wars are being waged, you know, they're being waged over natural resources, right? They're, they're being waged over natural. They'll say, we want to bring democracy to your land, but really what we want is we want to bring oil from your land to our land, right? That's what it's about. It's about resources and resources. He's saying that if they knew the value that we have, not from oil, not from gold, but from internal peace of praying and and submitting yourself, not just physically by putting your body into Jude, but by your heart submitting to your Lord, right? That you understand that you have a purpose in this life. You have, you have, you've been created with meaning and that there is an afterlife for which you will be held to account how you lived in this world. Then they wouldn't stop sending army after army to get that from us. Right? So... This idea of ultimate nam is something that we have to try and bring into salah. The second thing I want to share was a poem, and this is a poem that honestly, some of you guys know that I teach a course called Sweetness of Salah. right? And and it's it's a, it's a full course. It's about you know I don't know six seven hours long of of content about how we can develop this idea of how how we can enjoy our prayer. I taught it actually my first time ever teaching it was at your community in the ICD. Um, uh, beautiful, a beautiful experience, by the way, my first time teaching the class ever, and alhamdulillah, it was was a a lovely experience. We taught it over two days instead of one day. That was when I first did it. Um, And I still remember that class till now. Um, And so if you haven't attended it uh, and haven't had a chance, you know, I'm, I'm actually teaching the course online in Ramadan every Wednesday and Friday. 5 o'clock Eastern Time. You can check my Facebook page or go to Ramadan360.org and we'll be going through every step of the prayer and how we can build this like khushu in our salah and enjoy our salah, right? That's not the topic of today. But what I did want to share with you today, um, I want to share some ideas. This, This other thing I wanted to share with you was this poem that I came across that honestly, when I heard it, I thought like, this is sufficient. Instead of seven hours of class, if you could just understand the meanings behind this poem, it's enough for you to appreciate your salah. And so I wanted to just share the poem with you and not go through the seven hours of content, but just share the poem with you. So the scholar, he wrote this line of poetry about salah. Right? And this is more hitting on the idea of, of how, how, what's the quality of our prayer. Right? So he says, bi, he, he says, bila Now, I know most of you guys listening, at least from Dearborn, know Arabic. So I'm hoping you can understand it because the... The English doesn't do it justice, the, the, the power and the meaning, but I'm going to try and translate the best I can. But try and follow in the Arabic if you're able to. He says that you pray a prayer without your heart being present. He says a prayer of this like would actually make someone who offers it. It would, be, it would be befitting of him to actually be punished. To salli qalbin salatan bimithniha, you're praying a prayer without any concentration or awareness or your heart's not present at all, that someone who offered this prayer would actually be befitting of him to be punished. He says, And he says, and woe to you if you only knew who you are confi- you, you are confiding in negligently. You know, tunajih means like you're, you're talking to this person in a very intimate conversation. So imagine you're talking to someone, but as you're having this one-on-one private conversation with him, you are completely negligent of him. You're not at all paying attention to what you're saying or what he's saying. You're talking to him, but you're like, you're literally talking, but your mind is on somewhere else. So he says, if you only knew that who you are confiding in while negligently doing so, and in front of whom you are bowing down, without any humility at all. Meaning you're physically bowing down, bowing down, but you have no humility, neither in your action nor in your heart and your presence of mind. He says, ala ghayrihi fiha darurati." He says, "You are talking to him. You are literally talking to him. and You're saying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Oh Allah, it is only You who we worship." You are saying this to Allah, ضرورتي, But while you're doing so, you are actually facing someone else during the prayer for no need at all. Meaning you're not physically facing someone else, right? You're, looking, you're standing in prayer and you're saying, Oh Allah, it is only you we worship. But your heart is distracted. Your heart's thinking about somebody else or something else. So he says, for no reason at all, but you're, you're, you're allowing your heart to be distracted. He says, وَلَوْ رَدَّ wa he says, and if someone confided in you, right? If somebody like let's say they called you up, like you're a busy man, you got you got a busy woman, you got things going on in life, and they they, they say, Hey man, I, I really need your time. And so they come over and then you sit with them and you you make free up your busy schedule and you sit and you give them some time, right? He says, He says, if you if someone confided in you, turned his attention to someone else, right? He takes, he, he's coming to you. He's taking your time. And then he turns away and he's not even like paying attention. He says, wa You would be overcome with anger and jealousy over this person. Like, what's wrong with you? you you're coming, taking my time. And then you're not even paying attention to what, what's going on. You're not even paying attention to what you're saying to me. He says, he says that. Then, then, what is the example with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala? He says, "Don't you feel shy, from the King of all Kings, your Lord and your Creator?" Right? He says, that He will see you're turning away from Him, right? When you stand to pray and you don't pay attention at all, He says, "You turn away from. Don't you feel shy from your Lord? That He sees that from you." He's giving you, you know, his undivided attention, right? You stand before Allah Subhanahu. The hadith says that Allah Subhanahu looks at you, and you, Allah Subhanahu, talks to you, and you, you talk to Allah. All of this happens with your Lord and your Creator. I mean, think about that. Somebody who's like, To Allah belongs the most high and exalted example, and He is nothing like anything that we know. But if you think like like a king or a president or somebody who's super busy, super important, right? And He gives you even five minutes of your time, you'll feel like. You're the most special person in the world, right? So he says, don't you feel shy from the king of all kings that he sees that you turn away from him. (laughs) Oh, the one who has such little, you know, honor and dignity. He says, (laughs) He says that a prayer that's been established that you you did, that Allah knows that by virtue of the way you carried out this act of, of obedience, is actually like a mistake. Like you doing it, it's an act of worship, an act of obedience, but it's actually the way you did it, like a sin. He says, he says, and he goes on. He, you know, he goes on to say a few things, but I'll just kind of end with this. What you know, skipping some lines of poetry, he says, he says, and just in this idea of how how unaware of we are in our salah, right? He says, ذنوبك في you know, he's reflecting on how negligent we are in everything that we do. He says, your sins in acts of worship. And how, how abundant are they? Ida an kulli If you were to count them up, it would actually, you wouldn't need any sin. That would be sufficient, right? This poem, it really hit me home. It really hit my heart Because like SubhanAllah Every time we stand to pray In front of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala We stand on our on our, on our, um, our Our um our prayer, our prayer rug Hopefully we've made A little musalla In our home I'm, I'm looking at Musalla right now As I'm saying this Right And if you haven't I would encourage you to do that Make a little musalla In your home A place that's clean That's free of all this Random stuff You know Make sure there's no clutter around Make sure that the sajadas are clean and nice And that's You know the, You're facing the qibla Like no distractions there Make it a peaceful environment Right when you stand to pray there, you know just think you're standing before Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and what quality prayer are you offering Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala? Just think about that. Um, you know, one of the one of the salaf, he was in Mecca. He's a scholar, and um, he was. They told him to, to to lead the people in prayer, like when the for Salah went off, and they told him, "Go ahead and pray." You know, lead us in Salah, and he said no. This is not something that I'm It's befitting of me to lead Now he's a scholar, he's a person of knowledge And so the people said, no, you are the most knowledgeable You should lead And so he stood forward to lead He, went, he stood in front to lead the people in prayer And then he said, istawu rahimakumullah Istawu, you've probably heard it a lot, right We, we hear istawu is what we hear But it's actually istawu um, What it means is straighten the lines, right straighten, you know, like, you know, become, you know, upright and, 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 and make the lines straight He said, Istawu, rahimakumullah, may Allah have mercy on you And when, when he said that, he, he passed out He said that, those words, and then he passed out unconscious And so the people, and subhanallah, this is very interesting, you know, when you hear these stories And how the, how the salaf and the tabi'in and the sahaba, how they used to look at prayer Aml al-Khattawi mentioned when he was murdered, he, he was in prayer When he was stabbed and he fell unconscious and Rahman ibn Awf went forward and finished the prayer. And then they tended to him, right? This man, he passed out. And so somebody else went forward. They saw him, he's okay, he's alive, right? So they, he, he led the people in prayer. Then after they finished the salah, they go to the scholar and they bring some water and they start putting it on his face to wake him up, to, to, um, to have him recover and he wakes up, right? And so they, they, they asked him, what, what made you pass out? Right. Well, this is very strange. What made you pass out? And he, you know, he said in response. He said, "When I said you know, straighten the lines. May Allah have mercy on you." He said, "It was as if I heard someone saying to me. You know, have you anta rabbik? You know, have you straightened your affairs with your Lord?" Before you could tell other people to straighten themselves. Right? And that idea that I'm standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I'm standing in front of the jama'ah behind me to lead them in prayer, am I befitting of that? Have I rectified my situation so that I could stand before Allah before telling other before I tell other people that straighten your lines and yourself? <laughs> Have you straightened your affair with your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala? And so that idea when you're standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to pray that you understand that you're standing before your Lord and your creator, right? That in and of itself is sufficient to make us, you know, um, value what we're doing, these moments and these actions that we're doing, right? Salah is a direct connection that we have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says in the Quran, he says in the in the first uh 9 or 10 verses of Surah Al-Mu'minun. al Indeed, the believers have already succeeded. Right? And then he goes on to list you know, seven qualities that if the believers have these qualities in their life, they have succeeded. And what does success mean here? It means فاز, right? The one who is saved from hellfire and entered into paradise, he is the one who has succeeded. Right? So, what is success? The verses end by saying, These people who have these seven qualities, they are not only going to be from Jannatul Firdaus, the highest level of paradise, but Allah says, They will inherit paradise. And inheritance, when you use the word wiratha in the Arabic language, inheritance, what that means is, you know, you know, let's say a family member passes away who you have a right upon to inherit from that person if someone were to prevent you from that inheritance, that would be dhulm, that would be oppression, that would be a form of, of, of wrongdoing that you were prevented from your rights, right? So what Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala is saying here when he says, if you have these seven qualities, you have the right upon Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala to enter you not just into Jannah, but Jannah firdaus So what are these seven qualities? The first quality Allah mentions is, these people, this special group of people specifically in their prayers, they have khushu'ah. They have this humility in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They recognize who they're standing in front of. And they recognize that when they stand before Allah, they do so with humility and fear and love and hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Um, and then these the, the seven qualities, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions khushu'ah first. And then he mentions other things like. You know, they, they, they avoid, you know, idle talk. They guard their chastity. They pay zakah. They, they fulfill their trust. They fulfill their promises. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He again says, out of the seven things twice, salah is mentioned. وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَلَىٰ صَلَوَاتِهِمْ يُحَافِظُونَ And those who upon their prayers, they are, they are guarding their prayers. Meaning they guard, they, they pray each prayer on its time. They guard, they pray each prayer on its time. Right? So the Prophet mentioned salah twice out of these seven qualities, right? So salah is critically important for our success in this world and in the hereafter. That's what Mu'adhan, he says, "Hayala salah, falah Come to prayer, and then what? Come to success because salah is your means of success. If you're looking for success, then this is about the, the way you will get success. And so what I want to do now, inshallah ta'ala, um, is I want to just go over um, a list. Of, of, of just one way in which salah brings us success. And if you've taken my class before, we've done this exercise in, in my class in sweetness of salah. And inshallah ta'ala, if you haven't, we'll, we'll go through it in, in, in my last session in Ramadan when we inshallah ta'ala, if Allah gives us life and health to go through sweetness of salah, we'll, we'll cover this, 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 this idea. But I wanna go ahead and give this to you now um, to just kind of give you an idea of, when we say salah gives you success, what, are, what do we mean by that? And this is just one way and inshallah if we have a chance, we'll go through the other ways in the course itself um, on Wednesday and Friday at five o'clock. Um, but I'm going to just share one way with you in which salah brings you success. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to list out, you know, a dozen plus ways in which salah forgives your sins, right? Because what is success? If your sins are forgiven, you're granted jannah. If your sins are forgiven, paradise is yours, right? You're saved from the punishment of the grave. You're saved from the punishment of the, of the, of the day of judgment. And you're safe from the punishment of the hereafter. Uh, and you're granted Jannah. Your sins are forgiven, you'll be granted Jannah. So let's look at Salah and, and how it forgives our sins. So the first thing is actually the hadith that we already mentioned earlier. In another hadith, the similar hadith, he said that the five daily prayers and Jum'ah to Jum'ah are an expiation of what comes between them. So between each prayer, Salah wipes away your sins. The other hadith that I was referring to was a hadith that we started to talk with about the two brothers. And the one prayed 40 days worth more of salah than the, his, his brother. Prophet says, what would make you understand what that value of those 40 days is? 40 prayers is, 40 days of prayer. Because why? He says, when you pray, what happens? He gave the example of the, the river in front of your house, right? So you bathe in the river and you come out, your sins are washed away. Prophet is asking, will the person who bathes five times a day in a river have any dirt on him? And they said, no, O Messenger of Allah. He said, that's what the salah does to you. It wipes away your sins. So salah itself is a kafaratul. It, to dhunu It's an expiation of your sins, right? So every time you pray, your sins are being wiped away. Which is interesting because when we sin, shaitan comes to us and tells us, you are not befitting of standing before Allah because you just committed this sin. You just cursed, you just lied, you just raised your voice against your mother, you just watched haram, you just did haram, whatever it is. How can you stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now? But what Allah is telling us is that salah actually is what you should do. If you commit a sin, right away go back to prayer because salah will wipe away your sins. You're turning back to Allah. You're acknowledging, you're recognizing that Allah is a, a Lord who is forgiving and merciful, right? So salah wipes away your sins. The second thing is that the Prophet ﷺ, he taught us that he says, whoever says after hearing the mu'adhan, give the adhan, right? So the mu'adhan makes adhan. Makes and then after hearing the adhan, you say, Ashadu la ilaha illallah, اللَّهِ la sharika.'" He says, if you say the testimony of faith, that I testify that there is no one worthy worship but Allah, he is one and he has no partners. And I testify that Muhammad is his slave and his messenger. And then you say, And then you say, I am pleased with Allah as my Lord and Islam as my religion and Muhammad Sallallahu as my prophet. He says, If you make this dhikr after Adhan, then your sins will be forgiven. So another way in which Salah forgives your sins is by making this du'a after the Adhan for Salah, right? Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah la sharika lah. abduhu wa billahi Muhammadin Nabiya. Your sins will be forgiven if you make this du'a. So now, inshallah Taala, you're at home. Practice this when somebody calls the Adhan, and you may not generally call the Adhan in home, but if you have a family, then I would encourage you to go ahead and do so. Um, you know, make the adhan and then make this dua after you get the reward of it, inshallah ta'ala. The third way in which Salah forgives your sins is that the Prophet he says, Whoever makes wudu and does it well, and how do how do you do it well? You obviously cover all the parts that you need to cover, and you follow the sunnah, which is you use a little bit of water, right? He says, Um, he says. The water washes away your sins. Your sins come out from you, from your body, until or to the extent that it comes out from even underneath your fingernails. Meaning the most distal part of your body, your toes and your fingers, your sins are just washing away as you make wudu, as you wash yourself to get ready for salah. So not only the dua after the adhan, so the salah itself is a forgiveness, the dua after the adhan again forgives your sins. And on top of that, when you make wudu, your sins are being forgiven. Number four, the Prophet he said in a hadith, he says, بيته, Whoever makes wudu at his home, and then he walks to the masjid to fulfill an obligatory prayer. He says, every time you take a step to prayer, going to the masjid, and of course we can't do that now, but just so you have it, every time you take a step to prayer, Every step that you take, one step your sin is being forgiven, next step your rank is being raised in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So every other step you take to the, to, to the masjid forgives your sins. And then the Prophet ﷺ, says another hadith, number five, how salah forgives your sins. He says, That a person who sits in the place of prayer, in his musalla, in his musalla, so even if you have a home musalla, you're sitting in that musalla, you're sitting for prayer, right? Um, this will apply to you, especially for the sisters because you know, for them, prayer at home is actually more rewarded, right? So your is at home, then you, these same hadith apply to you. And now, especially now in a situation where we can't go to the masjid, then this definitely applies your place of prayer. You sit in your place of prayer before the prayer begins. Pastor Bani says that you, you um, get the reward of praying while not actually starting to pray yet. So you're waiting for prayer and you're getting the reward of prayer even though you haven't started to pray. Then he says, وَتَقُولُ malaika." Not only are you getting the reward of salah, but the angels actually begin praying for you. Allahumma qafirlahu, Allahumma arhamhu. The angels begin praying and asking Allah to forgive you and have mercy upon you. So how is salah a means of forgiveness? As you're waiting to pray, the angels are actually praying for you to be forgiven. And then the Prophet says, "Hatta yansarif, o yahduth, and oh, 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 He says, "And this will happen. This will continue until you leave your place of prayer or you lose your wudu." And then. So the angels, so that also means after the prayer, if you sit in that same spot making your dhikr and whatever, the angels are again praying for your forgiveness. Number six, how does Salah forgive your sins? When you start the prayer, um, there is a du'a that we can make. There's different du'a that we can say. And perhaps most of you know the du'a. You say, Allahu Akbar, right? Um when you say when you uh, testify to the oneness of Allah SWT, and you praise Allah ta'ala, you could start the prayer by that and then you begin Fatiha, right? Um, but there's also another du'a that you can make. <clears throat> I'm sorry, right? You say that du'a, I'm sorry, I'm saying the du'a you say when you end the gathering, right? But you say the du'a of the Dhikr that most people know when you start the prayer. But there's another du'a that you can make and that's the du'a when you, when you make a du'a for forgiveness. You say, Allahumma ba'id bayni wa bayna khatayak, Kama ba'idta bayna al-mashriqi al maghrib Oh Allah, we ask you to distance between us and our mistakes, like the distance you have placed between the east and the west. Then you say, "Allahumma min kama danas And oh Allah, we ask You to cleanse us of our sins, just like a white garment is cleansed from dirt. So you have a white shirt, a white thobe, a white, you know, shalwar uh, whatever it is, and it gets some dirt on it, and you wipe it off, and it becomes white again. He's saying like that. Oh, oh Allah, you're making this du'a this dirt that we have accumulated upon our hearts, these dark spots we've accumulated upon our hearts. Oh, Allah, we ask you to wash it away, just like a white garment is washed away from dirt. And then you say, min Then we say, Oh, Allah, wash us, thoroughly wash our sins away from us with water and snow and ice. Now, why water and snow and ice? It's like saying you have this dirt and you took some water on it and it didn't come off. So you get... You get you know, you get soap and laundry detergent and bleach and whatever it is that you need to just make sure you have completely and thoroughly cleansed it with no remnants left of the dirt. This is a dua that we make when we pray. So, oh Allah, wipe away our sins. Wash our sins. Distance between us and our sins the east and the west. And oh Allah, leave no trace behind. So, a dua you make. Number seven, when, you, when you're praying. When you pray, the Prophet ﷺ says in a hadith, then إذا أمن الإمام فأمنه when you finish the رفعتها and then the Imam says آمين he says then you also say آمين and he says why he says that because if you say آمين at the same time as the angels say آمين then all of your previous sins will be forgiven subhanallah you know one of my good friends we were talking the other day uh, his father lives in New York. He's an imam in New York, and he lives just down the street from the masjid. Walking distance to the masjid. And so what he does is, um, even though in the lockdown, you know, the masjid actually technically it's open, but obviously people aren't g- gathering. You know, in New York obviously is right now very bad. Um, people aren't gathering to pay, People aren't coming to the masjid. But out of the haq for the masjid, what his father does is he walks to the masjid and he prays salah there in the masjid, right? And and, um, you know, his, his son was asking, well, why are you doing that? And he says, so I can get the reward of jama'ah, right? And, but nobody's praying there. It's just him. There's no jama'ah. And he says, well, I'm leading the angels in prayer, right? And that's true. The angels pray with you. And besides that, also, you know, as a side point, the imam, uh, if he goes to the masjid to pray and nobody comes, he still gets a reward of jama'ah. He still gets a reward of praying jama'ah because why? He has fulfilled his, his rights and he's not being held uh, or shortchanged by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his reward because other people didn't fulfill that right. So the scholars say that if the Imam, and this is specifically for the Imam, when he's praying in the masjid, even if nobody comes for prayer, he gets the reward of jama'ah. But anyways, the point being, he's saying that the angels are praying with me. Prophet says in this hadith here that when you say Amin, if you say it at the same time the angels say Amin behind the Imam, then all of your sins will be forgiven. So, another opportunity, we don't know, you know, when we say ameen, I we don't know if we've necessarily said it at the time of the angels, but what we do know is if we get it at the same time as the angels, then all our sins will be forgiven. <laughs> all the previous sins will be forgiven. So, that's the seventh way in which Salah forgives our sins. Number eight, the Prophet he says in a hadith, he says, <inaudible> he, says <inaudible> he says, he says, وسلم, that when you stand to pray, he says, all of your sins are brought and they're placed over your head and over your shoulders. Right? So he says, رَكَعَ أَوْ سَجَدْ He says, and every time you go in ruku' or you go in sujood, your sins fall off of you. Right? So just imagine, um, you know, the example, the example I'd like to give is the example of a wheelbarrow. You know, a wheelbarrow, you fill it up with dirt, you're doing some, you know, some lawn work outside, you fill up the wheelbarrow with topsoil. And then you want to dump the topsoil, so you take it to the point where you want to dump it, and you lift it up, right? And so a full wheelbarrow, most much of the dirt falls off, right? So when you go in ruku, similarly, there's dirt all of, the dirt of our sins are on top of us, and when we go in ruku, the sins are just falling off. Why? Because you're submitting yourself to Allah. The two most prominent parts of prayer, and that most represent submission, is ruku and sujood. When we bow down, and then when we fall in prostration, right? And so not just physically you're humbling yourself and submitting yourself, but also your when you do so, your heart is present that you're submitting yourself with your heart to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you go in and you go in you sujood, your sins are falling off of you. And when you go in sujood, you know, when you have the dirt in the wheelbarrow, you lift it up some and some of the dirt falls out. Then you want to get the rest of it. What do you do? You put your hands underneath it and you lift it up all the way and shake out all the dirt. That's what sujood is. You go in sujood and your sins are again falling off of your back and you're being forgiven. Number nine, the Prophet says in hadith. Right, so that's ruku' That number eight is when you go in Ruku, your sins are being forgiven. Number nine, the Prophet he says in a hadith, Idaqal al Imam, when the Imam says, Sami Allah, the Imam comes up, Sami Allah answer the one who praises him, or Allah answer the one who praises him. Right? The Prophet he says, Fakulu, Allahummarhamd. Then, oh believers, you say, Oh Allah, our master, to you is the praise. So the Imam says, May Allah answer the one who praises him. You respond by saying, "Allahumma Rabbana wa lakal ham." You can say "wa lakal This narration specifically says, "Allahumma Rabbana lakal ham. Oh Allah, our master to you is the praise. The Prophet says, man al ma Again the same idea. When if you say "Allahumma Rabbana lakal ham," as the same time as the angels say it, then also all your past sins will be forgiven. Right? So again, we don't necessarily know if we get it, but the more we pray, the more we increase our likelihood of, of, of saying at the same time as the angels and all our sins being forgiven. SubhanAllah, how merciful is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number 10. So we said number 8 was ruku'ah. Number 9 is the Samhallah al position. Number 10 is now sujood. and sujood, we just mentioned the hadith in number 8, that when you go in sujood, فَكُلَّمَا رَكَعَ sajat he says that every time you make a ruku'ah, or sujood, your sins are being forgiven. So sujood also forgives your sins, as mentioned the hadith in number eight, but I'll also mention another hadith here in number, in, in number 10 about sujood forgiving your sins. The Prophet he says that, he says, that I encourage you to make a lot of sujood, which means a lot of prayer. He says, Fa sajda, because you will never make one sajda to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala إِلَّا بِهَا Accept that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will raise your rank by this sujood. وَحَطَّ عَنْكَ بِهَا And he will uh, erase a sin by this sujda. So your rank is being raised and also your sin is being forgiven. So now what's the next part of the prayer? We, we, we you know, ruku'a, standing up, sujood. When you sit up between the two sujood, right? The two sajd attain when you sit up and you sit in the small you know, part of prayer. What do you say in this prayer? You say, Rabbi ghufirli. Oh Allah, oh my master, forgive me. Or you say, Allahumma ghfirli wa hamni wa dini wa jburni wa afini wa rizukni wa fa'ni. Oh Allah, you know, Allahumma ghfirli wa dini. Oh Allah, forgive me and guide me. Uh, and rectify me. Oh Allah. اجبرني, uh, جبرا, it, means, it has the meaning of like, you know, fix my affairs. Um, uh, even if it requires some pressure, you know. Um, so, Allah Wahdini, O Allah, forgive me, Wahdini, and, and guide me, Wajburni, uh, Wa'afini, and and forgive me, uh, ورزقني, and um, and provide for me, ورفعني, and raise my rank, O oh Allah. So you make this dua of forgiveness, right? And dua after sujood is a time also when dua is answered. So we ask Allah for forgiveness in this part of the prayer, and then we and then and then what what what, what next? After the salah is over, what's the first thing we say? After salah finishes, we say astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. We ask Allah for forgiveness, right? And it's amazing. Why do we ask Allah for forgiveness? We just mentioned 12 ways. Number 13 is saying astaghfirullah after salah. We just mentioned 12 ways in which salah already forgives your sins. So why then are we asking Allah for forgiveness again? Because subhanAllah, we may have had shortcomings in our prayer. And also to show our humility in front of Allah subhanahu wa Taala that we, we, we are always constantly in need of His forgiveness and mercy. And definitely, our salah is not 100%. We weren't fully, you know, our minds wander, we get distracted. So we ask Allah for forgiveness for our shortcomings. So you say, astaghfirullah, three times. Number 13, how does salah forgive your sins? The same hadith that we mentioned in the beginning that when you sit to pray, the angels are praying for you. At the end of the prayer, the same applies. Prophet Muhammad says in the hadith, ala ma salla that the angels will continue to pray for you. So long as you were in the place of prayer where you you you, you had just prayed, madam you So long as you don't lose wudu. Allahumarhamhu. And the angels they say, Oh Allah, forgive him. Oh Allah, have mercy on him. So let's say after salat al asr now. What time is it in Detroit? Seven o'clock. So you guys probably already prayed asr. So uh, maghrib. You know maghrib comes in soon. Well, maghrib you are probably not going to be sitting long because you want to eat iftar, right? So let's say aisha. Um, after aisha, you you finish your salat. Sit for five minutes. So sit in your place of prayer, do your adhkar whatever. As you are sitting there, so long as you still hold on to your wudu and you sit in that same spot, the angels are continuously, repetitively again and again saying, Allahumma fil lao, Allahumma arhamu, Allahumma fil Allahumma arhamu, Allahumma fil Allahumma Oh Allah, 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 forgive him. Oh Allah, mercy on him. So you're getting the dua of the angels, right? And then number 14, how does salah forgive your sins? The Prophet ﷺ, he says, um, Man he says whoever says subhanallah, thirty three times and alhamdulillah, thirty three times and allahu akbar, thirty three times and then he says وقال تمام المئة and then to complete one hundred he says la ilaha He says that and then to say, you know, to make 100, you make the statement, there is no God worthy worship but Allah. He is one and he has no partners. To him belongs the kingdom and to him belongs all praise. And he has power over all things. He says, He says that all of your sins will be forgiven even if they are as numerous as the foam in the sea. Meaning you have thousands upon thousands of sins. And that's, you have to understand, brothers and sisters, this is your Lord ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, the first attribute he introduced you to of himself is he is abundantly merciful, he is constantly merciful. All right? And so no matter what you do, Allah subhanahu wa gates of forgiveness and mercy are there for you. Right? As Even if you have as numerous as, 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 as the sins in the sea, and you, you make this dhikr after salah, all your sins are wiped away. In another hadith, and I'm concluding in a couple minutes, inshaAllah ta'ala, another hadith, the Prophet he says, he says there are two things that no Muslim will do except that he is granted Jannah. He is going to be given Jannah. Um, and what is this? What are the two things? He says um, they are easy upon the person, but most people don't actually do it. It's very easy for the person, but they actually don't do it. So the Sahaba, they said, um, you know, the Sahaba were like, obviously curious, like, what, you know, um, why, why would someone not do this? So he's, he, he said in the hadith, he says, um, at the end of the prayer, you say, um, you say, sorry, I'm just looking at my phone. It says the, the Instagram live is about to end. So if those of you on Instagram, just go to my Facebook page and you'll catch the rest of the, the lecture. Um, the, the, the hadith, it's a key hadith. Um, so the Prophet, he says, as salawatul al-khams. He says, yusabih ahadukum fi dubri kulli salatin ashran. He says after every prayer of the five daily prayers. and this hadith, it says 10 times. You say subhanAllah 10 times. And then you say alhamdulillah 10 times. And you say Allahu Akbar 10 times, right? So that's how many after each prayer? 30 total. 30 total of dhikr. And, and five prayers a day, that's 150. So he says, he says, um, he says فَهِيَ خَمْسُونَ وَمِئًا That's 150 total dhikr, right? But he says, he says, فِي الْلِسَانِ On the tongue, it's 150. But he says, but it's one thousand five hundred good deeds on your scale of good deeds, so it's one hundred fifty on the tongue, but it's one thousand five hundred counted for you. Why is it counted one thousand five hundred? Because Allah says, "If you do one good deed, you get ten times its reward." So one hundred fifty is equal to one thousand five hundred. Then he says, then he says, um, <coughs> um, when you when you, um, lay down, um, when you lay down, when uh, you lay down to sleep at night, he says, al-lisan." Um, when you when you go to sleep at night, let me just sorry, let me just see if I can uh, fix this, real quick. Um, okay, so you lay down to sleep, and then you say Subhanallah thirty three times, Alhamdulillah thirty three times, Allah Akbar thirty four times. So that makes a hundred, right? he says. Um, he says 100 on the tongue, but it's a 1,000 in it's reward because each reward, each deed, you get 10 times its reward, right? Um, sorry, I'm trying to see if I can fix it. Okay, so then, so, so then he says, Prophet is asking a question. Yamalu kulli wa layla, wa he says, who of you in a day does 2,500 bad deeds. So, so, so a couple things here. First, why is he asking who does 2,500 bad deeds in a day? Because innal hasanat yudhibna sayyat. You do one good deed, it wipes away one bad deed. Right? So here you do 200, 250 good deeds in terms of this a statement. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, Allah Akbar. That's 250 times total you're saying it but it counts as 2,500 on the scale. So now what I'm saying is, even if you did 2,500 bad deeds in one day, if you just do this, right? The five prayers and the dhikr, and this hadith actually says 10 after each. So let's say you're doing the 33, 33, 33. So that's 500, 100 after each prayer, times five, 500 times one, 10 is 5,000 good deeds. So 6,000 good deeds. If you do dhikr before you go to sleep. 6,000 good deeds you're doing in a day. You would have to do 6,001 bad deeds to be in the negative, right? To be in the negative. That's the mercy of Allah the Prophet is, saying is, So he says, this is all you have to do. Then so the Sahaba said, the Prophet said at the beginning of the hadith that people don't do it, right? These are two things that are very easy to do, but people don't do it. So the Sahaba, they said, um, كَيْفَ لَنُحْصِهِمَا Oh, Messenger of Allah, how could people not do it? So, you know the Prophet said in response, he says, In Shaytan yati ahadakum fi salati. Shaytan will come to you while he is in his while you are in your prayer. Quul, udhkur kaza, udhkur kaza. So he says, like you finish your salah and it, you, it's time to do your dhikr, but what happens? Shaytan says, Oh, it's gotta get back to work, you gotta get to video games, you gotta get back to whatever you're doing, leave the prayer, right? Go back so you don't do your dhikr. And then he says, When you go to bed at night, you know, and you lie down to, and you want to make your dhikr, he says. And so Shaitan comes to you when you're laying down in bed and he you know he starts singing Ra goodbye baby on the treetop. Right? He puts you to sleep. Right. And by the way, if you can't fall asleep, if you have difficulty falling asleep, start making dhikr. Right? You'll see how quickly you fall asleep. Because shaitan does not want you to do good, do, do good deeds. So the point being is you fall asleep and you don't do your dhikr, and you rush after prayer and you don't do your dhikr, and so you miss out on the reward. So subhanAllah, brothers and sisters, 14 ways in which Salah forgives your sins. We said and says, hayal salah hayal al-falah Come to prayer, come to success This is the way in which salah one, Just one way And there's many ways in which salah grants you success It forgives your sins So I hope, I hope inshallah ta'ala, this Ramadan You and I um, uh, make it a point of emphasis That we really try to improve Number one, we guard our prayers We're going to pray all five times a day And I hope we make it a point We make goals for ourselves Right, that for example, the twelve rak'az of sunnah, every prayer we're going to make. Meaning, two after the two after two before fajr, the four before Dhuhr, two after Dhuhr, two after maghrib, two after isha. Right, that's twelve rak'az. We're not going to miss them. We're going to make sure we pray. We don't have the masjid, but we're still going to pray tarawih. Right, eight rak'az, twenty rak'az, whatever. But you're going to pray tarawih, and then inshallah taala, you're going to pray tahajjud as well. You'll wake up maybe ten minutes before you wake up for sahur, and you pray two rak'az, at least two rak'az. Because think the value of two rak'ahs, what it's worth in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like Ali ibn said in the beginning of the, that we mentioned in the beginning of the hadith. If I know that even two rak'ahs are accepted from Allah, then I'm good, right? I'm not worried about anything after that. So let's try and make sure we make it a commitment to ourselves for the rest of our life that we will never miss a prayer again. That we will, inshallah ta'ala, make a commitment to make sure no matter we're at work or we're at home or at school, we'll pray or our sunnah prayers. And let's make it a point, inshallah ta'ala, that We emphasize, uh, we place an importance on developing and learning and trying to improve our humility and concentration in the prayer. So not just we're praying, but we're trying to advance our quality of prayer, right? And we talked about the poem and, you know, the quality that we're offering. So we ask Allah to give us tawfiq and to give us tabat and to to make us amongst those who guard their prayers and who have khushuah in their prayers, those who will be successful and it will be in, in here. And for those in khairan. Allahumma We'll go ahead and end there. If anybody has questions, inshallah uh, ta'ala, if that's cool, I don't know if we're doing questions or not, but um, uh, I'm open to questions if you would like, or if you want to just end it, we can end it there, inshallah ta'ala. Jazakallah khairan. Dr. Farhan for joining us and giving us this really needed uh, short reminder. We do have one question if you do want to touch up on it real quick. It's by our uh, Sister Aisha. She's asking what advice do you have for improving khushua and prayer in the workplace, especially for people in hectic work environments such as healthcare?" care? Oh, man, I wish I knew the answer to that, right? Because <laughs> I work in the ER, so I'm the same thing. Like I have to leave and then come back and then you're worried about patients, especially now COVID is like any minute somebody's super, super sick could come in um, so what advice do I have? Um, and so this is advice to myself, first and foremost, and then to the sister and everyone else. I mean, and not necessarily even just, um, uh, not even necessarily just, um, healthcare, you know, let's say you're at home and, you know, you're, you're a mother of a new child, right? Your baby's always in need and always asking for you or a young child who you always have to keep your eye on, you know, it's, it's difficult. Um, so, um, uh, advice. So I will say the first thing I would say is um, and this is something that I try and apply to myself is just just slow down, just slow down, right? Um, when I'm at work, specifically when I'm at work and I go to pray and, I, you know, so I'm, I'm in the ER and, you know, obviously things are busy, things are crazy, things are hectic and I have sick patients I have to take care of, you know, I'll go to pray and sometimes what I'll do is Like real quick, right? I mean, literally that took 20 seconds and I'm done with my recitation, right? Which is not appropriate. The Prophet ﷺ, when he would pray, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, He would pause after each ayah, Ar and then he would pause. Maliki Yawmiddin, he would pause, right? And so, and if you think about it, if, if I were to, what's the difference in overall length, right? If I say, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, and I'm thinking just for a second what Allah Shudad is saying to me, and we'll talk about this in the class uh, every uh, Wednesday and Friday if you can join some more you know details but if i'm just thinking the meaning of what i'm saying you know and then i'm thinking just for a moment about it how much does that add right overall to the whole salah itself maybe maybe a minute maybe two minutes it's not much at all but you're going from rushing your prayer where you're not having much of any if not any khushua to now pausing, slowing down. And, and just by virtue of that small change, you're having a big difference in your level of khushu So the first thing I want to say is, is slow down. Number two, um, uh, the Prophet he said in the hadith, to the Salah, Salli When you stand to pray, then pray as if someone who is bidding farewell. So before you pray, just, just, just think for a second that this is the last prayer I'm ever going to offer. This is the last prayer I'm ever going to offer in front of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and no matter what I'm doing, no matter what it is that I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of. If you're at work and you're in healthcare, you're in the ER, and maybe you're worried about that sick patient that you have, and you have to pray. If you mess up this prayer, you may never pray again in front of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Then, then that could be something that that can help us improve our prayer, even if, even if, um, even if we have things going on. Why? Be- because, look. Even myself, I'm I'm a physician in the ER, right? If la something bad were to happen to one of my patients, I know there's staff there. I know there's other physicians there who can help jump in and and handle the situation until things improve and get better or or until I come, right? Um, uh, There isn't anything really that should stop us from giving salah its quality, even if it's a small amount. And it's a lifelong journey to try and improve. I don't want to go too long on that, but I hope that helps.